If you could have a seat. I hate to interrupt such a good thing of hearing everyone uh, talking and hanging out. But uh, we're going to be launching into Proverbs 8 this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would love for you to turn to Proverbs 8. If you don't, we will have most of the words today up here on the screen. We're continuing our series, Pitfalls. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the uh, people on the teaching team here at Journey. And as we look at this series, Pitfalls, we've been looking at the first nine chapters of Proverbs. So maybe you've been here for every week. Maybe it's your first time back in a while. That's where we've been. Proverbs for chapters one through nine. And we've been looking at basically what this father is teaching his son about the wise way of life and how to distinguish that from the way of folly. And today in Proverbs 8, if, if you were here a few weeks ago, Kevin mentioned that Proverbs are cyclical. You'll kind of hit a lot of the same topics over and over again. Well, in Proverbs 8, we're kind of circling back around to look at wisdom and choices and how those interplay with desires in our life. And we make choices every day. And often just the idea of choices, think about it, can sound mundane, a little boring. We make choices every day, oftentimes without a whole lot of thought. But just think about how exciting and how challenging the choices can be. Like, like one of the most inconsequential choices we can make can be very difficult, and that is where are we going to eat? Probably a dangerous thing for me to start with in the middle of a sermon with a bunch of kids that are talking about food, but where are we going to eat? We've all been there, right? That conversation with your family or with a group of people, where do you want to eat? I don't care. How about tamales? No, no. I don't care, but not, not tamales. Okay, but your kid in the back seat. No, I want tamales. It's like, no. You know, how about Zaxby's? No. Well, then where do you want to eat? I don't care. You know, it's like, okay, yes, you do care. And picking a place is half the battle because once you get there, you have to choose from so many choices. Waiters hate me. I literally pretty much change my order every single time I go out to eat. It's like I'm an external processor. I have to say I want this to realize, like, I actually don't really want that now that I say that. I have been known to pull up to Sonic and press the button, and when they come to me, go, I'm not ready yet. And they're like, didn't you press the button? Like, yes, but I thought I was ready. I'm not ready. Deciding on something as simple as where to eat or what to eat can leave us exhausted, especially if it's even in a family or a group setting. And oftentimes something simple can be convoluted because what we are really asking is, what do you desire to eat? Think about the words that we use. I've been craving this desire. I've been waiting and wanting this for several days. Desire. But desires can be tricky. When desire often dominates our choices, and then we have to make all these different kinds of choices, we begin to see that it's probably important for us to analyze the choices we make and maybe even analyze the desires behind those choices. Because some choices are trivial like where to eat or what to wear or should I buy these shoes or what to order at Shadrach's this afternoon, not different from this morning. But other choices are more impactful, like in junior high or high school, what kind of friends are you going to associate with? What group will you run with? 
Jenny Beth and I have prayed for all three of our kids' lives that God would give them godly friends and godly mentors and that they would be godly friends and mentors as they grow up. It's important who you surround yourself with. In college, it doesn't really change. Who are you going to surround yourself with in, with in college? What club? What sorority? What fraternity will you join? What major this time around are you really going to stick with, right? And, and post-college, now that you've got your degree, are you really even going to do work in that degree? I'm, I got a degree in radio television. Never worked a day there in my life. Who to date? Who to marry? Whether to make that career move, whether to let your kids play travel sports or to do gymnastics or to do art classes or in community theater. What local church should I join so I can use my gifts for the building up of the body? We have all kinds of decisions. And those are different kinds of decisions, but then there's some decisions that are a little bit less benign. Like in the moment of temptation, do I, do I cut the corner at work? Do I cheat on that test that I, I mean, I really didn't study for? Do I cross the line I've been really wanting to cross in this dating relationship? Do I click on that website knowing that it's gonna lead me down a path that just really doesn't end well? These, in this setting, seem like easy scenarios to make the right choice. But when you actually find yourself in that setting, desire can take over pretty quickly. And if you haven't been thoughtful about your desire prior to that moment, the inertia of temptation can make it too difficult to see clearly and to make the right choice. We have a desire, we make a choice, and those choices stacked over time create something called habits. And those habits can lead us into a pit. In his book, The Soul of Desire, Dr. Kurt Thompson says this, our behavior is far more powerfully driven by the habits we form in our embodied movements than by what we think. Hmm. Now, if you've been here any of the other weeks that I've preached, I've also said that Tim Keller says one of the main messages of Proverbs is that you haven't, you've never really thought enough about anything. Therefore, third quote, Dallas Willard would say this, there's no choice that does not involve both thought and feelings or desires. So let's think about our choices today and how they are informed by our emotions and our beliefs to see if Proverbs 8 might be able to help us. I've titled today's message, The Wise Life. And I want us to consider how the wise life requires Three things. First of all, the wise life requires deliberate attention. Secondly, it requires internal realignment. And last, an undivided heart. Deliberate attention, internal realignment, and an undivided heart. So first, the wise life requires deliberate attention. Now, the word deliberate is as an adjective, which is how I'm using it, means something done consciously and intentionally. But if you consider the verb of this, which would be deliberate, like a jury deliberating over the evidence, deliberate means to engage in long and careful consideration. So why does the wise life 
required deliberate attention? Well, for one reason, because lady wisdom in Proverbs 8 is calling out to us to pay attention to her. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 8, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. Wisdom calls out everywhere. From the countryside highways to the city gate, into the city streets, her voice is lifted everywhere, and her voice is lifted to everyone. Lady Wisdom does not speak the language of meritocracy, only speaking wisdom to those who deserve her. No, she cries out to all mankind everywhere with this message, verse 5, you who are simple gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. So what does she mean by the simple? Well, I don't think she means what we think of today, like vogue minimalism. I don't think that's what she's talking about. Our definition, or one definition of simple that I think would be more applicable to what she's referring to is simple meaning easily done, presenting no difficulty. Easily done, presenting no difficulty. And when that definition is applied to a person in the context of wisdom, and it is applied in a negative sense, like wisdom is applying it here, it is saying you who are simple, meaning you who just do things easily, without difficulty, without thought, you feel it, you do it. Because basically, you who just act without why? Why do I do this? And that's why her next charge for the simple is to gain prudence. So what is prudence? A lot of definitions this morning. Well, prudence is the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. To govern or discipline oneself by the use of reason. Which is why in the second part of the verse, she says, we obtain prudence by setting our hearts on it. This is the Hebrew word, lave, which is the word in the Hebrew and Jewish thought for heart and mind, the person, the command center of the body. So putting it all together then, when we are simple and foolish and just act without thought on our desires, the correction Lady Wisdom offers is to reason with ourselves about the way we are living, what we are desiring. We examine the evidence. Is it leading to life the way we expected it to? This takes discipline. This takes deliberate attention to our thoughts and our desires as Lady Wisdom beckons all of mankind to listen to her. But it also takes deliberate attention because she isn't the only voice we hear. Lady Wisdom is not the only one speaking to us. Because if you consider the context at the beginning of Proverbs 8, keeping in mind that the original writers did not do chapter and verse, this actually begins with the phrase, does not wisdom call out? As in like there's 
another voice because this is directly after another woman has been speaking in Proverbs, Proverbs 7. And because today is Family Sunday, we're going to call that woman Lady Folly. If you examine the speech of Lady Folly that Daniel talked about last week in Proverbs 7, and you look at the speech of Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8, you can see a pretty stark contrast. If you look predominantly at the first nine verses, here's what you'll see. Lady Wisdom, she speaks with true intent. Whereas Lady Folly, the NIV says, crafty intent. Like, don't really know what she's about. She's guarded. You, She's got a crafty intent. She, she's got something planned for you that's not good, but you don't know it. Lady Wisdom speaks what is right. Lady Folly is unruly and defiant. Lady Wisdom detests wickedness. Lady Folly, however, plans wickedness. The couch is ready. The linens are on it. There is perfume sprayed. Wickedness. Lady Wisdom has words that are just, where Lady Folly's words are crooked and perverse. Lady Wisdom, we find at the end of chapter 8, her path leads to life, while Lady Folly's path leads to death. And lastly, we see Lady Wisdom speaks in public places, in the country roadside, in the city streets, at the city gate, most likely during the day, whereas we find in chapter 7, Lady Folly slips out after she's planned her wickedness, at twilight as it begins to get dark, and that's where it happens. Whose voice will you listen to? Because you have a choice to make. And herein is the application, Proverbs 8.10, choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Choose wisdom and give it your deliberate attention. What's interesting here though is with this application to choose wisdom is the urgency with which it speaks because the Hebrew word that the NIV has translated choose could be even to say to take, which is what it says in the, probably the ESV, or even to seize, to seize something. Think about going up in your attic if you didn't build your house like we did. If, you, if somebody lived there before, you go in your attic and you find this box that you didn't know was there and you open it up and there's gold, there's silver. Would you be like, I choose that? No, you'd be like, I'm seizing that. And if you think you're better than that, I have seen you seize less at Dollar Breakfast Club. Those blueberry donuts never last long. Some of us are last in line and we don't get any, but that's okay. The reality is that we have something more valuable than silver or gold and all else we desire in the world. We have wisdom offered to us, so seize it. Give it your deliberate attention. And once you consider the contrast of the two voices, I mean, it's an easy call, right? So why is it so hard sometimes to seize wisdom? Well, because we need a lot of internal realignment. I remember early in my days of driving, uh, I was on a straight road, driving down the road, but the car kept wanting to veer off in a ditch on a straight road, which is hard to do because you've got to be at 10 and 2, which is also hard to do in the 90s because you have a CD changer 
you got to figure that part out or your discipline is skipping. But 10 and 2, I'm like, it's 10 and 2 on a straight road. It shouldn't be that hard. Well, come to find out, I didn't know because I'm a new driver, that cars sometimes need realignment. That, that because you hit potholes or things, in li- things that happen, they can get off track. But you get the alignment done on your car, then driving down a straight, straight road is easier. It wears less on your tires. You naturally will not veer off the path. The human person, the mind, body, and soul, we need consistent realignment. Though we are made to desire, what we desire easily gets off kilter. Our negative emotions, they get the best of us and our consistent running over the potholes or the pitfalls of life because we're not paying attention gets us all out of whack and we veer off the path of life into a ditch. We are misaligned in our hearts. In fact, in Romans 3, this is how Paul describes the state of the human person. Here's what he says. And I like the NLT, one, because kids are here. I think this is really clear. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. What a grim summation of the external and internal state of affairs for the human soul when we're left to ourselves. No one wise, no one desiring or seeking God, All have turned away from God. Foul speech and lies just drip from our lips like snake venom, rushing to violence, followed constantly by destruction and misery. No clue on earth where we can find peace. And we can all identify with this at some point in our life, past or present. You know, I mean, I don't think anybody in here would be like, no way, man, I've always sought God. I'm truly wise. Like we, we know we identify with this. At past, maybe some of us even in our present, We definitely can look at our world and see that this is the case. So what prompted such a a sad state of affairs? Well, Paul tells us right after this, he says in verse 18, they have no fear of God at all. No fear of God at all. The darkness of Romans 3 verses 10 through 17 in the human person is prompted by an internal misalignment. No fear of God. So we need some soul alignment. And while this could be in and of itself an entire sermon series, to be sure, let's stick to Proverbs 8 this morning just to see three areas of opportunity for some internal realignment in our hearts. Beginning with a realignment of emotions. Verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. All right, so again, Family Sunday, kids in the room. Kids, I got to ask you a question. How many of you cannot say hate in your house? Anybody? Brooke should be raising his hand. Not because I made the rule, mama made the rule. I say hate, and he looks at me, and he's like, you're not supposed to say hate. 
But I hope I don't get in, par- in trouble with you parents. I do want to say hate is not a bad word. As much as it's the target of what we hate that can be bad. It's not about if you hate, but what you hate. Because according to Lady Wisdom, there are some things we should hate in this world. The problem is often that we hate things that we shouldn't hate, and we don't hate some things that we should. And so Lady Wisdom says she hates evil, pride, and arrogance because she fears the Lord. To fear the Lord means to show him respect, to honor him. But it's not like you honor your, or, or respect your grandparents. While you should do that, fearing God means to worship him, to love him. So how does honoring God and worshiping God result in the hatred of evil? Well, think about it. By worshiping God and showing him reverence and love, we begin to see the life we were created to see and to live in. You see, the reason evil even exists and the reason we don't hate evil like God does is because of the pride and arrogance that exists in each of us because of our lack of fear of God, our lack of right worship of him, our lack of actually loving him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. We were made by God for God's delight, and yet no one seeks God. All have turned away. And this dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We've all done it. This arrogance and pride actually deforms the human soul. We get misaligned, and again, we start veering off the tracks. We don't hate evil or pride the way God does. Sure, we hate it when somebody does evil to us, but the evil inside us, sometimes we hate it. But to be honest, sometimes we enjoy it a little. The evil in our world, most of the time we're more or less indifferent to it. And the path of emotional realignment then is to worship God for who he is, our loving and humble and gracious creator. And then begin to see what evil has actually done to us and to his good creation. And the more we see evil in us and the world through the lens of the brokenness of our rebellion against such a good and gracious God, the more we will cultivate the proper kind of hatred for what we should hate, evil and the power of darkness and the havoc it's wreaked in our world. Which brings to our second realignment, not just realignment of emotions, but we need a little bit of a realignment of our position within creation. As we fear the Lord and begin to see him for his goodness and mercy toward us, we are then rightly aligned to see where we stand within creation and also where wisdom stands within creation. In Proverbs 8, through 31, we see just how old wisdom is. Now, again, children, I want to speak to you briefly. Let me tell you something. You never want to call a woman old. Trust me. But lady wisdom is a one old lady. If you look at verse 22, it says this, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. 
Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. Lady Wisdom wants us to see that her way, which is God's design for life, was woven into the fabric of creation. In fact, in 830, Wisdom says that she was filled with delight in the presence of God from the beginning because that's where delight is found, in the presence of God. But when we ignore Lady Wisdom's voice, we are not simply ignoring an opinion of what leads to life. We are actually rejecting delight and blessing to instead tear away at the fabric of how God designed the world to operate and experience blessing. And then we end up in a pit. But it's not because God is mean. It's because he has orchestrated the world to work a certain way. And our ignorance and arrogance to do our own thing is dangerous. We need realignment of our position within creation as God's beloved image bearer, but not God's ourselves. And submit to his ways so that we, so that we can give him his rightful praise and actually experience life and blessing and delight like we were intended to. But lastly, Proverbs 8 shows us that we need to see some realignment of our desires. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me. This is wisdom talking. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Those are words of desire, love, seeking. We need God to realign us to actually love and seek his wisdom instead of what we typically seek after, which is our broken desires. When we seek wisdom, she will not hide from us. We will find her. Interestingly, Lady Wisdom jumps straight from talking about desiring her to mentioning other desires that we typically have in this life like desires for prosperity, verse 18. Desires for gold, verse 19. Desires for justice, verse 20. Desires for a rich inheritance. I mean, this, this is the American dream. A just society with prosperity and generational wealth. This is what we've been sold is that we should be desiring above all things. Now, you have to read carefully or else you will actually think Lady Wisdom is promising you these things, prosperity and all these things. In fact, some prosperity preachers even on TV will teach this and other Proverbs as promises. But Proverbs are not promises. I'm not sure if we've said that yet in this series or not. I know I have not. I want to make that clear, though. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are principles. So what's the difference? Well, a promise, especially a promise from God, is sure. We may not know when it comes to pass, but we can trust that he will keep his word. A principle, though, is often how things work out, but not always. It's kind of like the way the world works typically. So in verse 18 through 21... Lady Wisdom says riches and honor come with her in verse 18, but she also says she's better than fine gold in verse 19. 
She walks in the path of justice in verse 20, but she also bestows rich inheritance on those who love her. Verse 21. The principle here then is not to desire wisdom so you can be prosperous because what's really your deeper desire there? You're really desiring gold the most. And Lady Wisdom says that's not wise and that will end up getting you misaligned in your heart. Instead, Lady Wisdom is teaching us the principle that the blessings of prosperity, of justice, and more only really can be experienced as blessings if God's wisdom is actually what's undergirding all of it. For example, when we seek prosperity and riches most in our life and we seek it for our own enjoyment, that's actually not just. For God says he blesses us so that we can be a blessing, not to, as, as Jesus would say in Luke, build bigger barns so that we can hoard all our stuff to consume it for ourselves. If we desire that more, we need realignment. Or if we seek justice without wisdom, then we become the standard of right and wrong, which is dangerous. Our culture is full of this. America loves justice, legal justice, social justice. We love it. But when we strip God of his position of author of life, then we end up having to become the arbiter of what's actually right, what's actually wrong, and then we determine as a culture, this is the right way. And in the end, that's not justice. It's a phony justice because it has nothing to do with seeking God's wisdom above our own. There's no fear of God. We need realignment. And we need wisdom to undergird all of that. To experience the wise life, then, we need, re we need internal realignment, of our emotions towards evil, our position under God's wisdom and our desires. And we obtain this by revering God, reverence and worship and love of God and deliberate attention to his voice. But those will lead to one more thing we need for a wise life. And that's the undivided heart. We need an undivided heart. Most of us in this room today probably have divided hearts. We have some desires that are good and some that aren't so good. We have some healthy emotions and some probably unhealthy emotions. We have probably some wholesome talk and thoughts and probably some unwholesome thoughts and talks. Our hearts are divided. Giving wisdom our deliberate attention and God working some internal realignment moves us closer to a heart that fears and loves God, but an undivided heart will require actually implementing habits in our lives that coincide with God's ways. You're not gonna have an undivided heart on accident. So Lady Wisdom finishes Proverbs 8 talking about some habits, starting in verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway, for those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Now, there are three habits here. You could say four, but I think two of them are similar. Three habits just in Proverbs 8. There's tons of habits we could talk about this morning, but for Proverbs 8, 
three habits. And the first one is the habit of listening. Three times she says, listen to me. I mean, parents in the room, you're like, listen to me. And there's a difference, parents, right, between listening and hearing. She doesn't say, hear me. She says, listen, give attention. Actually listen with the intent of doing what I say. Listen to me. And listening for us in today's culture is hard. Why? Because listening takes silence from us. Silence to hear from God, which is hard. But if we are deliberate in listening to God's word, and if we are followers of Christ so we can listen to his spirit within us, we can listen to life-changing wisdom. So create practices in your life of listening to God through his word and through his spirit and even through his, his other followers who have his spirit. The second habit we see here is the habit of keeping his ways. I want to be extremely clear if everyone will look at me. We are not saved by, from our sins by keeping his ways. When I say that as a habit, that's not talking about salvation. But what does Jesus consistently say? Follow me. Follow me. Which means discipleship. If you look at the Gospels, if you look at Acts, discipleship is at least the habit of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing what Jesus did. Which is how you can also incorporate that if keeping his ways is one of the habits we need to do, it means that we don't disregard wisdom, but instead we put it into practice. Disregarding wisdom would flow from a divided heart. An undivided heart longs to be empowered to regard all that Jesus says about his ways are actually life-giving and we trust him and we go. Listening, keeping his ways, and third, the habit of pursuing Jesus. Lady Wisdom says, blessing awaits those who what? Watch and wait at her door. This means we persist with patience as we pursue wisdom, the ways of Jesus. We pursue Jesus. And notice how often Lady Wisdom says we're to watch and wait daily. Daily. We get up, we're watching, we're waiting daily, seeking Jesus, seeking God. What should I do? Daily habits affect our desires. Daily habits affect our desires because they point us in the direction of an undivided heart. In fact, again, from the soul of desire, Kurt, Dr. Kurt Thompson says this, desire does not exist merely as some independent phenomenon to which we just respond. It is also something that, like any good gardener knows, must be pruned. Desire must be shaped and will be shaped by whatever practices, habits, or liturgies we develop. Liturgies we practice whether we know it or not. But these habits cannot create an undivided heart on their own. Even the psalmist knew that. Psalm 86 11 says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. 
Because in the end, truly having an undivided heart that fears the Lord is a gift of grace. Give me an undivided heart. Is the psalmist requests so that he may fear the Lord. An undivided heart that loves God is only available to those that, they, that know they need it only by grace. Why is that? Because if you think you can obtain it strictly through your habits, your abilities, your good works, you're back at the pride and arrogance that God says, I hate that. Give me an undivided heart. But you might be wondering, well, just because I ask for an undivided heart doesn't mean I'm actually going to get it. How, how can I actually know that he would answer that with a yes? Well, we can trust God will come through the same way the psalmist does. Because two verses later, here's what he says. For great is your love toward me. That's that chesed love. Steadfast love. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. God's steadfast love for us. Yet, like Lady Wisdom, God is just. He may love us, but he cannot simply overlook our sins. He can't overlook our pride and our arrogance. He's too good, actually, to do that. He's too holy. He's too just to just turn a blind eye to the destructive ways of humanity. So is God's love for us fated to be some sort of forbidden love? A love that cannot be shown to us because of our sin? Well, if we only had Lady Wisdom speaking over us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. In Proverbs 8, Lady Wisdom speaks, back in verse 3, she speaks at the city gate. This image is probably lost on us predominantly, but it wouldn't have been lost on the original audience of Proverbs. In our day, the entrance to the city is typically a, kind of an unceremonious city limit sign at best. The real action, you know, happens as you get deeper into the city where the shopping and dining are, where the schools and the jobs are, where the city government is downtown. Like, that's where the city really comes alive. But in that day, the city gate was where the affairs of the city were often handled. At the city gate, the king would sometimes make a ruling, executing justice at the city gate. The city gate is where the elders of the town might meet. The city gate is often where a prophet would even come and proclaim God's words to the city, beginning at the city gate. And it sometimes would be words of hope, sometimes it would be words of judgment, sometimes it would be both. But here is Lady Wisdom standing at the city gate, calling out to us to listen to her, saying to us, she will love us if we love her. But we often don't love her. Instead, we listen to that tempter. We veer off the path. We fall into pits, getting all kinds of misaligned. We don't seek God. We turn away from him. And so surely Lady Wisdom's judgment in the last verse of Proverbs 8 is a just judgment towards us. 
She says, but those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Yet in his steadfast love for us, God sent a different voice of wisdom. Not some inanimate voice, but a real person. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God sent Jesus as Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And he says, verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is his righteousness, holy, or our, our righteousness, holiness, and our redemption. God sent his wisdom ultimately as a person who would go along the rural highways and into the cities offering more than just wisdom, though he did offer that. Jesus came to offer us his righteousness, his holiness, and redemption. How did he do that? Because Jesus passed through the city gate, hearing the voices of Lady Wisdom and the voice of our tempter that we deserve death, that justice calls for a payment for our sin. And he, the wisest man to ever live, walked through the city gate, heard those voices, but walked to Golgotha and died in our place outside the city gate, taking the just ruling of the king upon himself, being not just a prophet at the gate, but the very word of God that speaks now grace over those who believe in him. You see, Jesus is the reason we can actually and confidently ask God for an undivided heart and believe that he will give it to us because of his steadfast love shown toward us. Jesus is the one who loves you with a steadfast love before you love him and seeks you before you seek him, unlike wisdom. Jesus, the one who has come to find you with all your messed up emotions and desires and says, I wanna, I wanna take you as you are and I will change you from the inside out. Jesus is the one that we build our habits after as he actually will change us. Jesus is the way to live the wise life, the only way. And so the call to action today is three parts. I would encourage you to get into as much as you can with children I get, a posture of prayer and, con and considering The first call to action this morning is to follow Jesus. You might be like, that's kind of simple. It is, and it's also very difficult. But following Jesus is simple in the sense that it is simply us saying, I believe you are who you say you are. I'm turning away from myself. I'm turning away from being the God of my own life. I'm realigning myself under you 
as my king, as my savior. Some of us in the room today, that's the decision we need to make. That's the choice. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've been a part of church a long time. Maybe you feel like, man, I prayed that prayer. I've, I've been baptized. But you've actually never tried to follow Jesus. And it's, it's not that we're saved by our following, but Jesus does call us to follow him. So for today first, it's follow Jesus. And the only way we do that is by belief. Believing is who he says he is, turning our lives over to him. We're saved by grace, not anything that we do. But for a lot of us today, I know we've already done that. We've followed Jesus. We've made the commitment. We may not do it great. We may stumble all the time. If, if that's you, you're in good company. But as, as we try to follow and stumble forward after Jesus, I would encourage you now to take a moment and ask him for an undivided heart. And to show you areas of your heart that he wants to work in. call to action for us. Follow Jesus, ask him for an undivided heart, and then consider or ask the Spirit to show you one way this week that you can begin to build habits, that you can begin to stack habits together to listen to the Spirit. Maybe you need to not listen to something on your commute. Instead, to just have silence and ask God to speak to you. Maybe you need to get in the word. You haven't been letting God speak to you through his word. So ask the spirit, what are some, what are, what's one habit I can do this week to listen to you, to curb the desires that are not of you and to nurture the desires that are. Father, it's such a marvelous thing to consider the depth of your love. It's so inexhaustible. Because if it wasn't, I would have already exhausted it. So we marvel at the depth of your steadfast love that even when wisdom, who I know 
is calling out to us, but also we ignore her. When our tempter looks at us and is like, got you again, that you stand in and say, they're with me. I am the wisdom of God given for them. Praise your name. Praise you, Father, that Romans 3, after such a dire situation, says that we can now be justified freely by grace through belief in Jesus. Father, thank you for this room. Thank you for having a family Sunday where you allow us to all worship together, to to hear the, the cries and the laughter of children. Such is pleasing to you, Lord, and so we're grateful for an opportunity to do that. May you stir in our hearts. May you equip us for a long obedience in the same direction behind Jesus as we follow him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.